You are listening to Sermon Snippets with Max Taylor, where we exposit God's Word and apply its instruction to our everyday lives. As we study God's Word, we are learning truth that corrects our thinking, meets our needs, and teaches us more about Christ. Here's your host, Max Taylor. So this week I want to be another bonus episode and we are going to be looking at another one of the minor prophets. If you remember back on episode 27 was our first uh, bonus episode sort of like this where we talked about a totally different topic from a minor prophet that was just encouraging at the time, at least to me, and that time was from the book of Micah. And we looked at some lessons on loneliness that I just was studying and wanted to share on here. So this is kind of similar. Today I want to look at the book of Haggai, And we're going to go over some of the background and some of the things that are encouraging uh, from the first and second chapters here and just kind of give a synopsis and some of the lessons we can take away from it. And hopefully this episode won't be too long. Um, Obviously, by now, you know how long the episode will be, but my goal is under 30 minutes. So I guess you can laugh at me if it ends up being way longer than that, but hopefully we can get it in in about 30 minutes. But before I start, I do want to give two announcements. One is that just this morning, I got the email that um, Sermon Snippets has had a thousand downloads, which is really exciting for me. Um, I think that's pretty cool because just earlier uh, in 2023 in March, so under a year ago, we brought Sermon Snippets from YouTube onto the podcast distributors like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and a couple others. And um, so it's been relatively new. Um, and for me, it's it's just encouraging that some, some of the folks out there are listening. And obviously, it's not about the numbers. It's not about, you know, a certain number of downloads or a certain number of subscribers, but it's really worth it if just one person uses this as a tool to get a little bit more of God's word in their weekly routine and their daily life. So for me, that's worth it totally. So um, thank you for listening. And uh, if this is a podcast that's a help to you, uh, something that I frequently forget to mention, and I'm a big fan of podcasts. I listen to podcasts a lot. And I don't always think to go onto the podcast and rate it and give it a review, but that is something that does help. So if you do think about that, um, I think we have one review on there. So um, God Autonomy, if you're listening, shout out to you for the review. <laughs> and uh, if this is a, a help to you, you can go give us a rating and a review. And uh, you can share it with someone who you think it might be an encouragement to. First announcement was was that. Second announcement is that in our study in the book of Daniel, which we have been in since last uh, March, <laughs> we're continuing in, we are about to start Daniel chapter 9, which makes it a great point right now to take a break and have another bonus episode on something different, because when we get into Daniel chapter 9, that is such a packed chapter prophetically, and there have been tons of books written on it. A lot of biblical scholars have studied it. You have some of the great works of biblical chronology from uh, Dr. Floyd Nolan Jones, all the way back to James Usher. Um, then you have uh, Sir Robert Anderson wrote his book, The Coming Prince. All kinds of study has been done 
on Daniel chapter nine. And we're going to get into it. And there's so much that is related to that scripturally. You have the birth of Christ. You have the, the wise men, the magi coming from the East. You have the death of Christ and so many other things. So we're going to get into that starting next week, but this is going to be a break from the study of Daniel. We're going to look at Haggai, one of the minor prophets. And can I just start out by saying, I hope that the minor prophets are not a minor part of your devotional life. Because for me, there is so much uh, just grounding, stabilizing truth from these minor prophets. And the book of Daniel is another book of prophecy. Hopefully you see how important prophecy is in the life of a believer. But these minor prophets truly have such powerful messages from God. And it's important, not just that we know their message, but also that we know the the entire context that that message is delivered in. Um, It's important that we know who Amos was and what Obadiah's message was and what time Haggai was prophesying because that that is so significant to the message that they bring and how that relates to our life today when we're going through the same circumstances as the recipients of these men and their messages God can really use that in our life and so don't shy away from the study of these minor prophets we're looking today at Haggai and we're going to look at Uh, Just a few hopefully encouraging things about how to deal with past memories, how to deal with um, looking back. You know, how do you review your life? How do you look back on previous days, former days, and what is the right way to do that? What does God have to say about that? Because right now, at the beginning of 2024, at least me, I know, I am doing that. I'm reviewing last year and I'm, I'm thinking back on my life. I'm, I'm trying to be um, thoughtful and uh, to, to almost review what happened, not just last year, but in, in my life previously. And so with that kind of a thought in mind, we're going to get into the book of Haggai. It's important that we know when he was prophesying. He was not prophesying to the kingdom's that were divided. He wasn't uh, prophesying to the northern kingdom of Israel under uh, the kings or the southern kingdom of Judah before they were carried off into Babylon. He was actually after the Babylonian captivity. So he's what we would refer to as a post-exilic prophet, prophet, prophesying to Judah after they returned to Israel. So if you remember, the northern and southern kingdoms were split in the Old Testament, after Solomon, um, there was rivalry, and, and so the kingdom was split. The northern kingdom fell first, and that went to the smaller ancient empire of Assyria. And then the southern kingdom was conquered later, and that was by Babylon, which was a much more formidable power at the time. And so they were carried off into exile in Babylon. So all the Jews were dispersed throughout the Babylonian Empire. Some of them, like Daniel, who we're studying about, um, stayed in Babylon and went to be very high up in the king's court. He was educated. He was uh, trained to be part of the Babylonian nobility. Then Babylon 
eventually was conquered by the Medo-Persian Empire. And there's all kinds of prophecies about that in the book of Daniel, symbolizing the future empires that would come leading all the way up to Christ. And so after the Persian Empire came on the scene, um, it was at first the media Persian Empire, and then Persia became more dominant. But Cyrus the Great, who was prophesied by Isaiah, he actually made a decree saying that the Israelites could go back to Israel and they could rebuild their temple. So they did. And not all of them went. Actually, just a small number of them went back and they started out trying to build the temple. But then they got um, some opposition and that opposition slowed them down. And there was people in the land that were against them, that were opposing them, confronting them, trying to get them to stop building the house of God, which they did. And even after that opposition stopped, they were at that point pretty distracted with their own houses, building their own cities. And so they kind of forgot about the things of God. And that's where the book of Haggai opens up. Haggai was raised up as a prophet to go to these post-exilic Israelites in Judah, the few faithful ones who returned. And, And really, you can view Haggai as really a book of prophecy that's preaching to the choir because a lot of the Jews stayed back in Persia. And they didn't even make the trek to go back to to Israel. And in that crowd is actually Esther, who became queen. And you remember uh, Purim was a holiday that came about because of what almost was destruction of all the Jewish people in the Persian Empire during that time because of um, Haman and because of his plot to try to rid the Persian Empire of all the Jewish people. Um, But those are the Jews that stayed back. So only a few of them, only a fraction of them actually went back to Israel. And those are the people who Haggai is prophesying to. He opens up this book with a time frame. In chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month. And that's one thing I really like about the book of Haggai. And that's not necessarily the case in every book of of prophecy here in the end of the Old Testament, all the minor prophets. But Haggai is broken up specifically into themes of time. So you see that in the first verse. Um, You see that in chapter 2, verse 1. It says, in the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai. So this is 24 days later, 24 days after the first verse of chapter 1. Then if you look down at chapter 2, verse 10, it says, In the four and twentieth day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius. So same year, but this is now two months and three days later. So you see a progression of time. Really, the prophecy is mapped out and it's broken down into different time frames. And that's part of what we're talking about today, um, how we deal with former times. How do we handle uh looking back at our memories of previous experiences. So we're going to get to that when we get to chapter 2. But in chapter 1, we see the time. We see in verse 3, it says, Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet. God's word came at just the right time. And God is always working at precisely his perfect time. And so God's time was to speak to these people and he rebukes them. And his challenge to them, he says, consider your ways. He says, you have sown much. You've been 
putting so much into the land, you've been eating and drinking, you've been building your houses, and you said it's not the time to build God's house, so they were procrastinating, they were putting off serving God. And God says, it is the time. It's my perfect time for you to build my house. That's why the decree was made by Cyrus. That's why I brought you back into the land. And you've been distracted by your own hobbies, your own pursuits, and you've left me. And so God tells them multiple times, consider your ways. And that's a lesson to us to stop and take personal inventory, to reflect on what it is God has called us to do and how we're using our time. Consider our ways to stop and pause and look at our life. And then he goes on and he he really challenges them to make God their treasure because he says, you have been working so hard to earn money, to earn things, possessions, to get crops, to get food, and God just blew on it. God says, it's just a waste and everything that you've earned, you've put into bags with holes in it. And so God rebukes them for that. Then at the very end of chapter 1, it says, In the 4th and 20th day of the 6th month in the 2nd year of Darius the king. So there's another time marker there. So chapter 2 opens up. We see basically the first message of Haggai in chapter 1, telling them what God thought of their labors and their pursuits instead of serving him. Now in chapter 2, this is where I really want us to focus. And this is what's really hit me hard recently. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9, and then we'll go back and kind of glean some of the lessons from it. Haggai 2, verses 1 through 9. In the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work. For I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts, according to the word that I covenanted with you when ye came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you. Fear ye not. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake the nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine. And the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. So that's Haggai's second message to the children of Israel, post-exilic, back in the land. It says, the residue of the children of Israel. That is so accurate. This wasn't even to all of them. But this is God's message to his people at this particular time. So what what happened here? Well, after the first message, God challenged the people to build his house, to stop putting their time and effort into their own projects. And he said, 
come back and focus on what I've called you to do, which is to build my house. That's what the time is for. So they did, and they finished, they completed the second temple. Now, just as a side note here, um, if you follow Israel, Israeli politics um, and uh, some of the things going on in Israel right now, you might have heard that they're trying to build the third temple, which is a huge geopolitical nightmare at the moment. But um, you've heard it probably referred to as the third temple. And sometimes that confuses people because they think, okay, the first temple was with Solomon, right? This is the second temple when they came back after the captivity. Well, then when Christ was on the earth, when Jesus was here in Jerusalem, he went to Herod's temple, right? So wouldn't that be the third temple? And then that was destroyed in AD 70. So wouldn't we be trying to build the fourth temple? You know, why does Israel refer to this as the third temple, what they're hoping to build in the future? Well, that's very close. What actually is the case is that the first temple was built by Solomon. This here, what we just read about in Haggai, is the completion of the second temple. Now, when Herod came on the scene, he was trying to get into the good graces of the Jewish people who were historically very hard to appease. And so what he did was he renovated the temple. He remodeled it and he expanded the temple complex. Um, He beautified the temple tremendously. And that was still referred to as the second temple. And the reason why is because the function of the temple, the sacrifices and uh, people coming and offering their animals in the temple did not stop. So all the ceremonies carried on, even when those renovations were taking place, which were incredible uh, renovations, just crazy to wrap your mind around some of the construction that Herod accomplished in his, in his time, but that's still the second temple. So what was destroyed in AD 70 is technically the same functioning temple as what we just read in Haggai chapter two was completed. So hopefully that makes sense. Just a side note there. What the Jews are trying to build, um, if you've heard of the Temple Institute um, in Jerusalem in the Jewish quarter, you can go there and you can actually see a lot of the artifacts that they've uh, remade. They've been rebuilding harps and just the tools for animal sacrifice and things like that. The robes of the high priests and such. That's all an effort for the third temple, which will be sometime in the future, which will actually be during the time of the tribulation, which tells us we're getting pretty close to the last times. So here we have the completion of the second temple. Now, what does God ask them, though? God says he, he's asking them what they think of the second temple. And, you know, God, God didn't have a question about what they thought. It wasn't like God was unsure of their opinion because God knows all things. But what's what's amazing to me is that God knows our struggles. And so he knew what the people were thinking and he knew that they were, you know, excited for the building of the second temple. And you can read about this in, in Ezra and Nehemiah um, way further back in the canon of the Old Testament back on the other side of Psalms when this uh, was recorded in the historical book, um, books of Ezra and Nehemiah. The people were mixed. They, They had joy and shouting, but the older generation were crying and weeping because it was such a disappointment to them. And you know, God understands when we look back at former times and we think of things that were in our mind 
so much greater, times that were so much more um, maybe personally uh, better, maybe spiritually improved, times when we might have been a lot more devoted, when there was a lot better results. So God knows that we're going through all of that. And what's amazing is that God even entertains our struggles in order to help us. You know, we we tend to be very earthly-minded, or at least I'll, I'll speak for myself here. I tend to be very earthly-minded, comparing my my current self to my past self, looking back at different times, and I, I can easily say, you know, man, when I was in college, when I was at that campus, when I was in this ministry, during that semester, you know, whatever it is, maybe fill in the blank for your own self, times when maybe you were performing better personally or spiritually or or it just seemed like it was a better time and you look at your current self and it's nothing in comparison. We have such a hard time comparing. You know, we'll look back and say, when I was in that sports team uh, during that semester, when I lived in that state, fill in the blank, whatever it is, looking back and comparing to now. And that's just part of it. That's part of our earthly mindset. And that's good. As God said, consider your ways. The first message, he was saying, you need to take personal inventory. We need to look back. We need to ponder our path and see what improvements need to be made. But the downside of that is that sometimes when we look back and we consider the glory of previous days, of former times, we can end up being discouraged And so as we go into 2024, I don't know if maybe that's the case for you. Maybe you're looking back at a previous year where you were much more productive, much more devoted to the Lord, much more active and involved in spiritual things, maybe just much closer in your walk with God. So how do we handle these reminiscences on former days? How do we deal with these memories looking back at times? Um, in our earthly mindset, and how we are just comparing ourselves to former times. Well, that's that's what God instructs his people here. He meets them at this need because he, he anticipates this is how they're going to feel, and God entertains their hardship in order to help them. So this is for all of us. What God says to them, he says, who is left among you? This is verse 3, his question here. Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? He wants them to answer. He wants to draw out this question to get them to ponder. He knows what they're thinking. He says, and how do you see it now? Then he answers. He says, is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? Yet now, here comes the instruction, verse 4. God gives instruction. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord. And be strong, O Joshua. These are the two leaders, Zerubbabel and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest. And be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord. And work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts, according to the word that I covenanted with you which ye, when ye came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you. Fear ye not. So what instruction does God give his people when they're struggling with comparing with the previous uh, years and the previous times? Well, he says, 
and a very straightforward list. And I love the fact that he gives a list. You know, it's not, and there's no uncertain terms here. God doesn't use metaphors. He uses uh, commands, verbs. He says, be strong. He says first to the leaders, then to all the people, be strong. Work. And I love that too. Like that's very straightforward. When you're when we're thinking back on previous times, the right response is to be strong. Don't just sit there and keep thinking about it. Don't just reminisce about previous times when our devotional or prayer life or our scripture reading um, was better than it is now. Be strong. Have determination. Be committed. In other words, be strong and work. So sit down and do the work. And that a lot of times is the hardest part. But that's what God says. Be strong, work. Then he says, basically, be close to him. He says, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. That's the source of our strength. We draw our strength from God, from the time that we personally spend with him in our relationship with him through Christ, knowing that God will keep his promises. So he says, be strong, work, be close to me, knowing that I will keep my promises, and then look for God's future kingdom. And we'll pick up here in verse 6. He says, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake the nations, and the desire of all the nations shall come, and I will fill this house with my glory. I will fill this house with Glory, saith the Lord of hosts, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. So really what he says is, it's okay to look back and think about the the glory of the former house. And then in comparison, this house seems to... uh, be just insignificant in comparison. It seems to disappoint. But look ahead, because the glory of the final house, the latter house, he says, shall be greater than the former. So our attention needs to be looking ahead, looking forward to the ultimate coming of Christ and seeing the glory of his final kingdom. And that, I think, is the biggest takeaway, is to have an eternal mindset. When we're comparing ourselves with things of the past, with former memories, when we're just stuck looking back, you know, you can't live the Christian life just constantly looking back in the rearview mirror. But when that's our attitude, that's not spiritually minded. We need to be focused on eternal things. And that's what God gives them for instruction. So God tells them how to, how to deal with this in the past, in the present, and the future. See, the past doesn't give us hope. We can look to the past, we can learn from the past, but there's no hope in the past. And we should consider the past. That's what we do in the past. We consider. We review. We learn from it. We grow from it. That's how we treat the past. What do we do in the present? Well, God gives us a list, very straightforward list, um, very clear. He says, be strong, work, walk with God, and fear not. And then what does that leave us for the future? Well, we should hope in the future. We should look for the future. Our focus should be towards the future. And we should wait patiently for the future. 
And I love the very end of verse 9. He says, And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. We can rest in peace. So to close, I'm turning over to John chapter 14, verse 27. This is a promise that Jesus gave when he was on earth. He says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So God's message to us, Christ's message, is to focus on eternity, to live for the future, and to embrace Christ's peace. God gives us a peace that's not like the peace of this world. And we get that from Christ. And with Christ, we don't have to be afraid. So hopefully that's an encouragement to you as we start into this new year. And we will continue back in our study of the book of Daniel in chapter 9 next week. Thank you for listening to Sermon Snippets. If this Bible study is a help to you, consider downloading the weekly episodes or sharing this podcast with a friend. Until next time, Remember that God's word is perfect and it's everything you need to live for him.